Section 6 of Jane Austen's Juvenilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jane Austen's Juvenilia, Leslie Castle, Part 3, Letters 7 to 10. Letter the 7th, from Miss C. Luderell to Miss M. Leslie, Bristol the twenty seventh of march i have received letters from you and your mother-in-law within this week which have greatly entertained me as i find by them that you are both downright jealous of each other's beauty it is very odd that two pretty women though actually mother and daughter cannot be in the same house without falling out about their faces do be convinced that you are both perfectly handsome and say no more of the matter I suppose this letter must be directed to Portman Square, where probably, as great is your affection for Leslie Castle, you will not be sorry to find yourself. In spite of all that people may say about green fields and the country, I was always of opinion that London and its amusements must be very agreeable for a while, and should be very happy could my mother's income allow her to jockey us into public places, during winter. I always longed particularly to go to Vauxhall to see whether the cold beef there is cut so thin as it is reported, for I have a sly suspicion that few people understand the art of cutting a slice of cold beef so well as I do. Nay, it would be hard if I did not know something of the matter, for it was part of my education that I took by far the most pains with. Mama always found me her best scholar, though when Papa was alive Eloisa was his never to be sure were there two more different dispositions in the world we both loved reading she preferred histories and i receipts she loved drawing pictures and i drawing pullets no one could sing a better song than she and no one make a better pie than i and so it has always continued since we have been no longer children the only difference is that all disputes on the superior excellence of our employments then so frequent are now no more we have for many years entered into an agreement always to admire each other's works i never fail listening to her music and she is as constant eating my pies such at least was the case till henry hervey made his appearance in sussex before the arrival of his aunt in our neighborhood, where she established herself, you know, about a twelve-month ago, his visits to her had been at stated times, and of equal and settled duration. But on her removal to the hall, which is within a walk from our house, they became both more frequent and longer. This, as you may suppose, could not be pleasing to Mrs. Diana, who is a professed enemy to everything which is not directed by decorum and formality or which bears the least resemblance to ease and good breeding. Nay, so great was her aversion to her nephew's behavior that I have often heard her give such hints of it before his face that had not Henry at such times been engaged in conversation with Eloisa, they must have caught his attention and have very much distressed him. The alteration in my sister's behavior which I have before hinted at now took place. The agreement we had entered into of admiring each other's productions she no longer seemed to regard, and though I constantly applauded even every country dance she played, yet not even a pigeon pie of my making could obtain from her a single word of approbation. This was certainly enough to put any one in a passion. However, 
I was as cool as a cream cheese, and having formed my plan and concerted a scheme of revenge, I was determined to let her have her own way, and not even to make her a single reproach. My scheme was to treat her as she treated me, and though she might even draw my own picture or play Malbrook, which is the only tune I ever really liked, not to say so much as, thank you, Eloisa, though I had for many years constantly hollowed whenever she played, bravo, bravissimo, encore, de capo, allegretto, con espressione, and poco presto, with many other such outlandish words, all of them as Eloisa told me expressive of my admiration. And so indeed I suppose they are, as I see some of them in every page of every music book, being the sentiments I imagine of the composer. I executed my plan with great punctuality. I cannot say success, for alas, my silence while she played seemed not in the least to displease her. On the contrary, she actually said to me one day, Well, Charlotte, I am very glad to find that you have at last left off that ridiculous custom of applauding my execution on the harpsichord till you have made my headache, and yourself hoarse. I feel very much obliged to you for keeping your admiration to yourself. I shall never forget the very witty answer I made to this speech. Eloisa, said I, I beg you would be quite at your ease with respect to all such fears in the future, for be assured that I shall always keep my admiration to myself and my own pursuits, and never extend it to yours. This was the only very severe thing I ever said in my life. Not but that I have often felt myself extremely satirical, but it was the only time I ever made my feelings public. I suppose there never were two young people who had a greater affection for each other than Henry and Eloisa. No, the love of your brother for Miss Burton could not be so strong, though it might be more violent. You may imagine, therefore, how provoked my sister must have been to have him play her such a trick. Poor girl, she still laments his death with undiminished constancy, notwithstanding he has been dead more than six weeks. But some people mind such things more than others. The ill state of health into which his loss has thrown her makes her so weak, and so unable to support the least exertion, that she has been in tears all this morning merely from having taken leave of Mrs. Marlowe, who with her husband, brother, and child are to leave Bristol this morning. I am sorry to have them go because they are the only family with whom we have here any acquaintance, but I never thought of crying. To be sure, Eloisa and Mrs. Marlowe have always been more together than with me and have therefore contracted a kind of affection for each other, which does not make tears so inexcusable in them as they would be in me. The Marlows are going to town. Cleveland accompanies them. As neither Eloisa nor I could catch him, I hope you or Matilda may have better luck. I know not when we shall leave Bristol. Eloisa's spirits are so low that she is very averse to moving, and yet is certainly by no means mended by her residence here. A week or two will, I hope, determine our measures. In the meantime, believe me, and etc., and etc. Charlotte Luderell Letter the Eighth, Miss Luderell to Mrs. Marlowe, Bristol, April 4th I feel myself greatly obliged to you, my dear Emma, for such a mark of your affection as I flatter myself was conveyed in the proposal you made me of our corresponding. I assure you that it will be a great relief to me to write to you, and as long as my health and spirits will allow me, you will find me a very constant correspondent. 
I will not say an entertaining one, for you know my situation sufficiently not to be ignorant that in me mirth would be improper, and I know my own heart too well not to be sensible that it would be unnatural. You must not expect news, for we see no one with whom we are in the least acquainted, or in whose proceedings we have any interest. You must not expect scandal, for by the same rule we are equally debarred either from hearing it or inventing it. You must expect from me nothing but the melancholy effusions of a broken heart which is ever reverting to the happiness it once enjoyed and which ill supports its present wretchedness. The possibility of being able to write, to speak, to you of my lost Henry will be a luxury to me, and your goodness will not, I know, refuse to read what it will so much relieve my heart to write. I once thought that to have what is in general called a friend, I mean one of my own sex to whom I might speak with less reserve than to any other person. Independent of my sister would never be an object of my wishes. But how much I was mistaken! Charlotte is too much engrossed by two confidential correspondents of that sort to supply the place of one to me, and I hope you will not think me girlishly romantic when I say that to have some kind of compassionate friend who might listen to my sorrows without endeavoring to console me was what I had for some time wished for, when our acquaintance with you, the intimacy which followed it, and the particular affectionate attention you paid me almost from the first, caused me to entertain the flattering idea of those attentions being improved on a closer acquaintance into a friendship which, if you were what my wishes formed, you would be the greatest happiness I could be capable of enjoying. To find that such hopes are realized is a satisfaction indeed, a satisfaction which is now almost the only one I can ever experience. I feel myself so languid that I am sure were you with me you would oblige me to leave off writing, and I cannot give you a greater proof of my affection for you than by acting, as I know you would wish me to do, whether absent or present. I am my dear Emma's sincere friend, E. L. Letter the Ninth Mrs. Marlowe to Miss Luderell, Grosvenor Street, April 10th. Need I say, my dear Eloisa, how welcome your letter was to me, I cannot give a greater proof of the pleasure I receive from it, or of the desire I feel that our correspondence may be regular and frequent than by setting you so good an example as I now do in answering it before the end of the week. But I do not imagine that I claim any merit in being so punctual. On the contrary, I assure you, that it is a far greater gratification to me to write to you than to spend the evening either at a concert or a ball. Mr. Marlowe is so desirous of my appearing at some of the public places every evening that I do not like to refuse him, but at the same time so much wish to remain at home that independent of the pleasure I experience in devoting any portion of my time to my dear Eloisa, yet the liberty I claim from having a letter to write of spending an evening at home with my little boy. You know me well enough to be sensible, will of itself be a sufficient inducement, if one is necessary, to my maintaining with pleasure a correspondence with you. As to the subject of your letters to me, whether grave or merry, if they concern you they must be equally interesting to me, not but that I think the melancholy indulgence of your own sorrows by repeating them and dwelling on them to me, will only encourage and increase them and that it will be more prudent in you to avoid so sad a subject, but yet knowing as I do what a soothing and melancholy pleasure it must afford you, I cannot prevail on myself to deny you so great an indulgence, 
and will only insist on your not expecting me to encourage you in it, by my own letters. On the contrary, I intend to fill them with such lively wit and enlivening humor as shall even provoke a smile in the sweet but sorrowful countenance of my Eloisa. In the first place you are to learn that I have met your sister's three friends, Lady Leslie and her daughters, twice in public since I have been here. I know you will be impatient to hear my opinion of the beauty of three ladies of whom you have heard so much. Now, as you are too ill and too unhappy to be vain, I think I may venture to inform you that I like none of their faces so well as I do your own. Yet they are all handsome. Lady Leslie, indeed, I have seen before. Her daughters, I believe, would in general be said to have a finer face than her ladyship, and yet what with the charms of a blooming complexion, a little affectation, and a great deal of small talk, and each of which she is superior to the young ladies, she will, I dare say, gain herself as many admirers as the more regular features of Matilda and Margaret. I am sure you will agree with me in saying that they can none of them be of a proper size for real beauty when you know that two of them are taller and the other shorter than ourselves. In spite of this defect, or rather by reason of it, there is something very noble and majestic in the figures of the Miss Leslies, and something agreeably lively in the appearance of their pretty little mother-in-law. But though one may be majestic and the other lively, yet the faces of neither possess that bewitching sweetness of my Eloise's, which her present languor is so far from diminishing, what would my husband and brother say of us, if they knew all the fine things I have been saying to you in this letter? It is very hard that a pretty woman is never to be told she is so by any one of her own sex without that person's being suspected to be either her determined enemy or her professed toad-eater. How much more amiable are women in that particular? One man may say forty civil things to another without our supposing that he is ever paid for it and providing he does his duty by our sex, we care not how polite he is to his own. Mrs. Luterell will be so good as to accept my compliments, Charlotte, my love, and Eloise of the best wishes for the recovery of her health and spirits that can be offered by her affectionate friend. E. Marlowe. I am afraid this letter will be but a poor specimen of my powers in the witty way and your opinion of them will not be greatly increased when I assure you that I have been as entertaining as I possibly could. Letter the Tenth, from Miss Margaret Leslie to Miss Charlotte Luderell, Portman Square, April 13th. My dear Charlotte, we left Leslie Castle on the 28th of last month, and arrived safely in London after a journey of seven days. I had the pleasure of finding your letter here waiting my arrival for which you have my grateful thanks. Ah, my dear friend, I every day more regret the serene and tranquil pleasures of the castle we have left, in exchange for the uncertain and unequal amusements of this vaunted city. Not that I will pretend to assert that these uncertain and unequal amusements are in the least degree unpleasing to me. On the contrary, I enjoy them extremely, and should enjoy them even more, were I not certain that every appearance I make in public but rivets the chains of those unhappy beings whose passion it is impossible not to pity, though it is out of my power to return. In short, my dear Charlotte, it is my sensibility for the sufferings of so many amiable young men, my dislike of the extreme admiration I meet with, and my aversion to being so celebrated both in public, in private, in papers, and in print shops, 
that are the reasons why I cannot more fully enjoy the amusements so various and pleasing of London. How often have I wished that I possessed as little personal beauty as you do, that my figure was as inelegant, my face as unlovely, and my appearance as unpleasing as yours. But, ah, what little chance is there of so desirable an event? I have had the smallpox, and must therefore submit to my unhappy fate. I am now going to entrust you, my dear Charlotte, with a secret which has long disturbed the tranquillity of my days, and which is of a kind to require the most inviolable secrecy from you. Last Monday tonight, Matilda and I accompanied Lady Leslie to a rout at the Honorable Mrs. Kickabout's. We were escorted by Mr. Fitzgerald, who is a very amiable young man, in the main, though perhaps a little singular in his taste. He is in love with Matilda. We had scarcely paid our compliments to the lady of the house and curtsied to half a score different people when my attention was attracted by the appearance of a young man the most lovely of his sex, who at that moment entered the room with another gentleman and lady. From the first moment I beheld him, I was certain that on him depended the future happiness of my life. Imagine my surprise when he was introduced to me by the name of Cleveland. I instantly recognized him as the brother of Mrs. Marlowe, and the acquaintance of my Charlotte at Bristol. Mr. and Mrs. M. were the gentleman and lady who accompanied him. You do not think Mrs. Marlowe handsome? The elegant address of Mr. Cleveland, his polished manners and delightful bow, at once confirmed my attachment. He did not speak, but I can imagine everything he would have said, had he opened his mouth. I can picture to myself the cultivated understanding, the noble sentiments, and the elegant language which would have shown so conspicuous in the conversation of Mr. Cleveland. The approach of Sir James Gower, one of my too numerous admirers, prevented the discovery of any such powers by putting an end to a conversation we had never commenced, and by attracting my attention to himself. But, oh, how inferior are the accomplishments of Sir James to those of his so greatly envied rival! Sir James is one of the most frequent of our visitors, and is almost always of our parties. We have since often met Mr. and Mrs. Marlowe, but no Cleveland. He is always engaged somewhere else." Mrs. Marlowe fatigues me to death every time I see her by her tiresome conversations about you and Eloisa. She is so stupid. I live in the hope of seeing her irresistible brother tonight, as we are going to Lady Flambeau's, who is, I know, intimate with the Marlows. Our party will be Lady Leslie, Matilda, Fitzgerald, Sir James Gower, and myself. We see little of Sir George, who is almost always at the gaming table. Ah, my poor fortune, where art thou by this time? We see more of Lady L, who always makes her appearance, highly rouged, at dinner-time. Alas, what delightful jewels she will be decked in this evening at Lady Flambeau's! Yet I wonder how she can herself delight in wearing them. Surely she must be sensible of the ridiculous impropriety of loading her little diminutive figure with such superfluous ornaments. Is it possible that she cannot know how greatly superior and elegant simplicity is to the most studied apparel? Would she but present them to Matilda and me, how greatly should we be obliged to her? How becoming would diamonds be on our fine majestic figures? And how surprising it is that such an idea should never have occurred to her! I am sure if I have reflected in this manner once, I have fifty times. 
Whenever I see Lady Leslie dressed in them, such reflections immediately come across to me. My own mother's jewels, too. But I will say no more on so melancholy a subject. Let me entertain you with something more pleasing. Matilda had a letter this morning from Leslie, by which we have the pleasure of finding that he is at Naples, has turned Roman Catholic, obtained one of the Pope's bulls for annulling his first marriage, and has since actually married a Neapolitan lady of great rank and fortune. He tells us, moreover, that much the same sort of affair has befallen his first wife, the worthless Louisa, who is likewise at Naples, and turned Roman Catholic, and is soon to be married to a Neapolitan nobleman of great and distinguished merit. He says that they are at present very good friends have quite forgiven all past errors and intend in future to be very good neighbors. He invites Matilda and me to pay him a visit to Italy and to bring him his little Louisa, whom both her mother, stepmother, and himself are equally desirous of beholding. As to our accepting his invitation, it is at present very uncertain. Lady Leslie advises us to go without loss of time. Fitzgerald offers to escort us there but Matilda has some doubts of the propriety of such a scheme. She owns that it would be very agreeable. I am certain that she likes the fellow. My father desires us not to be in a hurry, as perhaps if we wait a few months both he and Lady Leslie will do themselves the pleasure of attending us. Lady Leslie says no, that nothing will ever tempt her to forgo the amusements of Brighthelmstone for a journey to Italy merely to see our brother. No, says the disagreeable woman. I have once in my life been fool enough to travel I don't know how many hundred miles to see two of the family, and I found it did not answer, so deuce take me, if I ever am so foolish again. So says her ladyship, but Sir George still perseveres in saying that perhaps in a month or two they may accompany us. Adieu, my dear Charlotte. Yours faithful, Margaret Leslie. End of section 6